Section thirteen of Idols of the King. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Idols of the King by Alfred Lord Tennyson. Section thirteen. The Holy Grail. Part two. And I was lifted up in heart, and thought of all my late shown prowess in the lists, how my strong lance had beaten down the knights, so many famous names, and never yet had heaven appeared so blue, nor earth so green, for all my blood danced in me, and I knew that I should light upon the Holy Grail. Thereafter the dark warning of our King, that most of us would follow wandering fires, came like a driving gloom across my mind. Then every evil word I had spoken once, and every evil thought I had of old, and every evil thought I had thought of old, and every evil deed I ever did, awoke and cried, This quest is not for thee. And lifting up mine eyes I found myself alone, and in a land of sand and thorns, and I was thirsty even unto death, and I too cried, This quest is not for thee. And on I rode, and when I thought my thirst would slay me, saw deep lawns, and then a brook, with one sharp rapid, where the crisping white played ever back upon the sloping wave, and took both ear and eye. And o'er the brook were apple-trees, and apples by the brook fallen and on the lawns. I will rest here, I said, I am not worthy of the quest. But even while I drank the brook and ate the goodly apples, all these things at once fell into dust, and I was left alone, and thirsting, in a land of sand and thorns. And then behold a woman at a door spinning, and fair the house whereby she sat, and kind the woman's eyes and innocent, and all her bearing gracious. And she rose, opening her arms to meet me, as who should say, Rest here. But when I touched her, lo, she too fell into dust and nothing, and the house became no better than a broken shed and in it a dead babe, and also this fell into dust, and I was left alone. And on I rode, and greater was my thirst. Then flashed a yellow gleam across the world, and where it smote the ploughshare in the field the ploughman left his ploughing, and fell down before it. Where it glittered on her pail the milkmaid left her milking, and fell down before it. And I knew not why, but thought, The sun is rising though the sun had risen. Then was I ware of one that on me moved in golden armour, with a crown of gold about a cask all jewels, and his horse in golden armour jewelled everywhere. And on the splendour came, flashing me blind, and seemed to me the lord of all the world, being so huge. But when I thought he meant to crush me, moving on me, lo, he too opened his arms to embrace me as he came, and up I went and touched him, and he too fell into dust, and I was left alone, and wearying in a land of sand and thorns. And I rode on and found a mighty hill, and on the top a city walled, the spires pricked with incredible pinnacles into heaven, and by the gateway stood a crowd, and these cried to me climbing, Welcome, Percival, thou mightiest and thou purest among men! and glad was I and clomb, but found at top no man, nor any voice. 
and thence I passed far through a ruinous city, and I saw that man had once dwelt there, but there I found only one man of an exceeding age. Where is that goodly company, said I, that so cried out upon me? And he had scarce any voice to answer, and yet gasped, Whence and what art thou? And even as he spake fell into dust, and disappeared, and I was left alone once more, and cried in grief. Lo, if I find the Holy Grail itself and touch it, it will crumble into dust. And thence I dropped into a lowly vale, low as the hill was high, and where the vale was lowest found a chapel, and thereby a holy hermit in a hermitage, to whom I told my phantoms, and he said, O son, thou hast not true humility, the highest virtue, mother of them all. For when the Lord of all things made himself naked of glory for his mortal change, Take thou my robe, she said, for all is thine. And all her form shone forth with sudden light, so that the angels were amazed, and she followed him down, and like a flying star led on the grey-haired wisdom of the east. But her thou hast not known, for what is this thou thoughtst of thy prowess and thy sins? Thou hast not lost thyself to save thyself as Galahad. When the hermit made an end, in silver armour suddenly Galahad shone before us, and against the chapel door laid lance and entered, and we knelt in prayer. And there the hermit slaked my burning thirst, and at the sacring of the mass I saw the holy elements alone. But he, saw ye no more? I, Galahad, saw the grail, the holy grail, descend upon the shrine. I saw the fiery face as of a child that smote itself into the bread, and went. And hither am I come, and never yet hath what thy sister taught me first to see, this holy thing, failed from my side, nor come covered, but moving with me night and day, fainter by day, but always in the night blood-red, and sliding down the blackened marsh, blood-red, and on the naked mountain-top blood-red, and in the sleeping mere below blood-red. And in the strength of this I rode, shattering all evil customs everywhere, and passed through pagan realms and made them mine, and clashed with pagan hordes and bore them down, and broke through all, and in the strength of this come victor. But my time is hard at hand, and hence I go, and one will crown me king, far in the spiritual city. And come thou too, for thou shalt see the vision when I go. While thus he spake, his eye dwelling on mine drew me, with power upon me, till I grew one with him, to believe as he believed. Then, when the day began to wane, we went. There rose a hill that none but man could climb, scarred with a hundred wintry water-courses, storm at the top, and when we gained it, storm round us and death, for every moment glanced his silver arms and gloomed, so quick and thick the lightnings here and there to left and right struck, till the old dry trunks about us, dead, yea, rotten with a hundred years of death, sprang into fire. And at the base we found on either hand, as far as I could see, a great black swamp, and of an evil smell, part black, part whitened with the bones of men not to be crossed, save that some ancient king had built away, 
where linked with many a bridge a thousand piers ran into the great sea. And Galahad fled along them bridge by bridge, and every bridge as quickly as he crossed sprang into fire and vanished, though I yearned to follow. And thrice above him all the heavens opened and blazed with thunder, such as seemed shoutings of all the sons of God. And first at once I saw him far on the great sea, in silver-shining armour starry clear. And o'er his head the holy vessel hung, clothed in white semite, or a luminous cloud. And with exceeding swiftness ran the boat, if boat it were, I saw not whence it came. And when the heavens opened and blazed again roaring, I saw him like a silver star. And had he set the sail, or had the boat become a living creature clad with wings? And o'er his head the holy vessel hung redder than any rose, a joy to me, for now I knew the veil had been withdrawn. Then in a moment when they blazed again opening, I saw the least of little stars down on the waste, and straight beyond the star I saw the spiritual city and all her spires and gateways, in a glory like one pearl, no larger, though the goal of all the saints, strike from the sea, and from the star there shot a rose-red sparkle to the city, and there dwelt, and I knew it was the Holy Grail, which never eyes on earth again shall see. Then fell the floods of heaven drowning the deep, and how my feet recrossed the deathful ridge no memory in me lives, but that I touched the chapel doors at dawn I know, and thence, taking my war-horse from the holy man, glad that no phantom vexed me more, returned to whence I came, the gate of Arthur's wars. "'Oh, brother,' asked Ambrosius, "'for in sooth these ancient books, and they would win thee, teem, only I find not there this holy grail, with miracles and marvels like to these, not all unlike, which oftentime I read, who read but on my breviary with ease, till my head swims, and then go forth and pass down to the little thorpe that lies so close, and almost plastered like a martin's nest to these old walls, and mingle with our folk, and knowing every honest face of theirs as well as ever shepherd knew his sheep, and every homely secret in their hearts, delight myself with gossip and old wives, and ills and aches, and teethings, lyings in, and mirthful sayings, children of the place, that have no meaning half a league away, or lulling random squabbles when they rise, chafferings and chatterings at the market-cross. Rejoice, small man, in this small world of mine, yea, even in their hens and in their eggs. O brother, saving this Sir Galahad, came ye on none but phantoms in your quest, no man, no woman? Then Sir Percival, all men, to one so bound by such a vow, and women were as phantoms. O my brother, why wilt thou shame me to confess to thee how far I faltered from my quest and vow? For after I had lain so many nights a bedmate of the snail and eft and snake, in grass and burdock, I was changed to wan and meagre, and the vision had not come. And then I chanced upon a goodly town with one great dwelling in the middle of it. Thither I made, and there was I disarmed by maidens each as fair as any flower. But when they led me into hall, behold, the princess of that castle was the one brother, and that one only, who had ever made my heart leap. 
for when I moved of old a slender page about her father's hall, and she a slender maiden, all my heart went after her with longing. Yet we twain had never kissed a kiss or vowed a vow. And now I came upon her once again, and one had wedded her, and he was dead, and all his land and wealth and state were hers. And while I tarried, every day she set a banquet richer than the day before by me, for all her longing and her will was toward me as of old. Till one fair morn I walking to and fro beside a stream that flashed across her orchard underneath her castle walls, she stole upon my walk, and calling me the greatest of all knights, embraced me, and so kissed me the first time, and gave herself and all her wealth to me. Then I remembered Arthur's warning word, that most of us would follow wandering fires, and the quest faded in my heart. Anon, the heads of all her people drew to me, with supplication both of knees and tongue. We have heard of thee, thou art our greatest knight, our lady says it, and we well believe. Wed thou our lady, and rule over us, and thou shalt be as Arthur in our land. O oh, me, my brother! But one night my vow burnt me within, so that I rose and fled, but wailed and wept, and hated mine own self, and even the holy quest, and all but her. Then after I was joined with Galahad, cared not for her, nor anything upon earth. Then said the monk, Poor men, when Yule is cold, must be content to sit by little fires. And this am I, so that he care for me ever so little. Yea, and blessed be heaven that brought thee here to this poor house of ours, where all the brethren are so hard, to warm my cold heart with a friend. But, oh, the pity to find thine own first love once more, to hold, hold her a wealthy bride within these arms, or all but hold, and then cast her aside, forgoing all her sweetness, like a weed. For we that want the warmth of double life, we that are plagued with dreams of something sweet beyond all sweetness in a life so rich, ah, blessed Lord, I speak too earthly-wise, seeing I never strayed beyond the cell, but live like an old badger in his earth, with earth about him everywhere, despite all fast and penance. Saw ye none beside, none of your knights? Yea, so, said Percival, one night my pathway swerving east, I saw the pelican on the cask of our Sir Bors, all in the middle of the rising moon, and toward him spurred, and hailed him, and he me, and each made joy of either. Then he asked, Where is he? Hast thou seen him, Lancelot? Once, said good Sir Bors, he dashed across me, mad, and maddening what he rode, and when I cried, Ridest thou then so hotly on a quest so holy? Lancelot shouted, Stay me not, I have been the sluggard, and I ride apace, for now there is a lion in the way. So vanished. Then Sir Bors had ridden on softly, and sorrowing for our Lancelot, because his former madness, once the talk and scandal of our table, had returned. For Lancelot's kith and kin so worship him that ill to him is ill to them, to Bors beyond the rest. He well had been content not to have seen, so Lancelot might have seen the holy cup of healing, and indeed being so clouded with his grief and love, small heart was his after the holy quest. If God would send the vision, well, 
If not, the quest and he were in the hands of heaven. And then, with small adventure met, Sir Bors rode to the lonest tract of all the realm, and found a people there among their crags, our race and blood, a remnant that were left Paynim among their circles, and the stones they pitch up straight to heaven, and their wise men were strong in that old magic which can trace the wandering of the stars, and scoffed at him in this high quest as at a simple thing, told him he followed, almost Arthur's words, a mocking fire. What other fire than he, whereby the blood beats and the blossom blows, and the sea rolls, and all the world is warmed? And when his answer chafed them, the rough crowd, hearing he had a difference with their priests, seized him, and bound and plunged him into a cell of great piled stones, and lying bounden there in darkness through innumerable hours, he heard the hollow ringing heavens sweep over him till by miracle, what else, heavy as it was, a great stone slipped and fell, such as no wind could move, and through the gap glimmered the streaming scud. Then came a night still as the day was loud, and through the gap the seven clear stars of Arthur's table round, four brother, so one night, because they roll through such a round in heaven, we named the stars, rejoicing in ourselves and in our king, and these like bright eyes of familiar friends in on him shone. And then to me, to me, said good Sir Bors, beyond all hopes of mine, who scarce had prayed or asked it for myself, across the seven clear stars, O oh, grace to me, in colour like the fingers of a hand before a burning taper, the sweet grail glided and passed, and close upon it pealed a sharp, quick thunder. Afterwards a maid, who kept our holy faith among her kin in secret, entering, loosed and let him go. To whom the monk? And I remember now that pelican on the cask, Sir Bors it was who spake so low and sadly at our board, and mighty reverent at our grace was he, a square-set man and honest and with his eyes an outdoor sign of all the warmth within smiled with his lips, a smile beneath a cloud, but heaven had meant it for a sunny one. Ay, ay, Sir Bors, who else? But when ye reached the city, found ye all your knights returned? Or was there sooth in Arthur's prophecy? Tell me, and what said each, and what the king? Then answered Percival, And that can I, brother, and truly, since the living words of so great men as Lancelot and our king pass not from door to door and out again, but sit within the house. Oh, when we reached the city, our horses stumbling as they trode on heaps of ruin, hornless unicorns, cracked basilisks and splintered cockatrices, and shattered tarbots, which had left the stones raw, that they fell from, brought us to the hall. And there sat Arthur on the dais throne, and those that had gone out upon the quest wasted and worn, and but a tithe of them, and those that had not stood before the king, who, when he saw me, rose and bade me hail, saying, A welfare in thine eye reproves our fear of some disastrous chance for thee on hill or plain, at sea or flooding ford. So fierce a gale made havoc here of late among the strange devices of our kings, yea, shook this newer, stronger hall of ours, and from the statue Merlin moulded for us, half-wrenched a golden wing. But now, the quest, this vision, hast thou seen the holy cup, 
that Joseph brought of old to Glastonbury. So when I told him all thyself hast heard, Ambrosius, and my fresh but fixed resolve to pass away into the quiet life, he answered not, but sharply turning asked of Gawain, Gawain, was this quest for thee? Nay, my lord, said Gawain, not for such as I. Therefore I communed with a saintly man, who made me sure the quest was not for me, for I was much awearied of the quest, but found a silk pavilion in a field, and merry maidens in it. And then this gale tore my pavilion from the tenting-pin, and blew my merry maidens all about with all discomfort. Yea, and but for this my twelve-month and a day were pleasant to me." He ceased, and Arthur turned to whom at first he saw not, for Sir Bors on entering pushed athwart the throng to Lancelot, caught his hand, held it, and there half-hidden by him stood, until the king espied him, saying to him, Hail, Bors! If ever loyal man and true could see it, thou hast seen the grail. And Bors, ask me not, for I may not speak of it. I saw it. And the tears were in his eyes. Then there remained but Lancelot, for the rest spake but of sundry perils in the storm. Perhaps like him of Canna in holy writ, our Arthur kept his best until the last. Thou too, my Lancelot, asked the king, my friend, our mightiest, hath this quest availed for thee? Our mightiest, answered Lancelot with a groan, O king! And when he paused, methought I spied a dying fire of madness in his eyes. O king, my friend, if friend of thine I be, happier are those that welter in their sin, swine in the mud, that cannot see for slime, slime of the ditch. But in me lived a sin so strange, of such a kind, that all of pure, noble, and knightly in me twined and clung round that one sin, until the wholesome flower and poisonous grew together, each as each, not to be plucked asunder. And when thy knights swear, I swear with them only in the hope that I could touch or see the holy grail they might be plucked asunder. Then I spake to one most holy saint, who wept and said, that save they could be plucked asunder, all my quest were but in vain, to whom I vowed that I would work according as he willed. And forth I went, and while I yearned and strove to tear the twain asunder in my heart, my madness came upon me as of old, and whipped me into waste fields far away. There was I beaten down by little men, mean knights, to whom the moving of my sword and shadow of my spear had been a now to scare them from me once. And then I came all in my folly to the naked shore, wide flats, where nothing but coarse grasses grew. But such a blast, my king, began to blow, so loud a blast along the shore and sea, ye could not hear the waters for the blast. Though heaped in mounds and ridges, all the sea drove like a cataract, and all the sand swept like a river, and all the clouded heavens were shaken with the motion and the sound. And blackening in the sea-foam swayed a boat half swallowed in it, anchored with a chain. And in my madness to myself I said, I will embark, and I will lose myself, and in the great sea wash away my sin. I burst the chain, I sprang into the boat. Seven days I drove along the dreary deep, and with me drove the moon and all the stars. And the wind fell, and on the seventh night I heard the shingle grinding in the surge, and felt the boat shock earth, 
and looking up, behold, the enchanted towers of Carbonac, a castle like a rock upon a rock, with chasm-like portals open to the sea, and steps that met the breaker. There was none stood near it but a lion on each side that kept the entry, and the moon was full. Then from the boat I leapt and up the stairs, there drew my sword. With sudden flaring manes those two great beasts rose upright like a man, each gripped a shoulder and I stood between. And when I would have smitten them, heard a voice, Doubt not, go forward, if thou doubt the beasts will tear thee piecemeal. Then with violence the sword was dashed from out my hand and fell, and up into the sounding hall I passed. But nothing in the sounding hall I saw, nor bench, nor table, painting on the wall or shield of night, only the rounded moon through the tall oriel on the rolling sea. But always in the quiet house I heard, clear as a lark, high o'er me as a lark, a sweet voice singing in the topmost tower to the eastward. Up I climbed a thousand steps with pain, as in a dream I seemed to climb forever. At the last I reached a door, a light was in the crannies, and I heard, Glory and joy and honour to our Lord, and to the holy vessel of the Grail. Then in my madness I essayed the door. It gave, and through a stormy glare a heat as from a seven times heated furnace, I, blasted and burnt and blinded as I was, with such a fierceness that I swooned away. Oh, yet methought I saw the holy Grail, all palled in crimson samite, and around great angels, awful shapes, and wings, and eyes. And but for all my madness and my sin, and then my swooning, I had sworn I saw that which I saw, but what I saw was veiled and covered, and this quest was not for me. So speaking, and here ceasing, Lancelot left the hall long silent, till Sir Gawain—nay, brother, I need not tell thee foolish words— a reckless and irreverent knight was he, now boldened by the silence of his king. Well, I will tell thee. O king, my liege, he said, hath Gawain failed in any quest of thine? When have I stinted stroke in foughten field? But as for thine, my good friend Percival, thy holy nun and thou have driven men mad, yea, made our mightiest madder than our least. But by mine eyes and by mine ears I swear I will be deafer than the blue-eyed cat, and thrice as blind as any noonday owl, to holy virgins in their ecstasies henceforward. Deafer, said the blameless king, Gawain, and blinder unto holy things, hope not to make thyself by idle vows, being too blind to have desire to see. But if indeed there came a sign from heaven, blessed are Bors, Lancelot, and Percival, for these have seen according to their sight. For every fiery prophet in old times, and all the sacred madness of the bard, when God made music through them, could but speak his music by the framework and the chord. And as ye saw it, ye have spoken truth. Nay, but thou errest, Lancelot. Never yet could all of true and noble in night and man twine round one sin, whatever it might be with such a closeness, but a part there grew, save that he were the swine thou spakest of, some root of knighthood and pure nobleness, whereto see thou, that it may bear its flower. 
And spake I not too truly, O my knights? Was I too dark a prophet when I said to those who went upon the holy quest that most of them would follow wandering fires, lost in the quagmire? Lost to me and gone, and left me gazing at a barren board and a lean order, scarce returned a tithe, and out of those to whom the vision came my greatest hardly will believe he saw. Another hath beheld it afar off, and leaving human wrongs to right themselves, cares but to pass into the silent life. And one hath had the vision face to face, and now his chair desires him here in vain, however they may crown him otherwhere. And some among you held, that if the king had seen the sight he would have sworn the vow, not easily, seeing that the king must guard that which he rules, and is but as the hind to whom a space of land is given to plough, who may not wander from the allotted field before his work be done, but being done, let visions of the night or of the day come as they will, and many a time they come, until this earth he walks on seems not earth, this light that strikes his eyeball is not light, this air that smites his forehead is not air but vision, yea, his very hand and foot. In moments when he feels he cannot die, and knows himself no vision to himself, nor the high God a vision, nor that one who rose again, ye have seen what ye have seen. So spake the king. I knew not all he meant. End of section 13